So today we will take a look at Matthew chapter 7, continuing on through our study through the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. So if you haven't done so already, please go ahead and open your Bibles or Bible apps, whichever you have up there. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll go ahead and we'll jump right on into verse 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So now that we've read these first five, five verses here together, and I'm sure that each of us have, have formulated something in our minds that we think that Jesus means here by what he's saying. But I want you to keep these verses in mind, what we just read, and I want you to go ahead and mark this page and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is, of course, to the right where you are now in your Bibles. Go ahead and take a minute to find it. 1 Corinthians and chapter 5. Here in uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture as we'll seek to address and to, to take a look again at this topic that Jesus brings up in His teaching here on what we call the Sermon on the Mount about judging. Today, many people like to use the phrase, you hear it said a lot, don't judge me. Hey man, don't judge me. Whatever, right? But what does the Bible really say about judging? So we're in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5 now, and let's look down and start reading in verse 12. The Apostle Paul is teaching the Corinthian believers, and he says here in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? He asked that question. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Okay, so pause right there, because what does Paul mean here when he speaks of outside and inside? Well, he's referring to the church, okay? There are those in the city of Cornworth that had been uh, born again of the Spirit of God, those that had repented of their sin their sinful lives, and they've given their lives to Christ. And this is who Paul is writing to, people that have decided to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, born-again Christians. They are members of the body of Christ, the church. Okay, And this is who Paul is addressing here, and he's teaching that when it comes to those that are inside the church, that is part of the body of Christ, we should be wise enough, mature enough to judge and to correct one another in the ways that we live our lives here on this earth. If someone is in need of correction, 
some sort of rebuke, some sort of repentance. There should be people wise enough in the church to handle this. And I'll show you some more scriptures on this here in a few moments. But let's go on here in verse 13. He says, But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul is saying here that people within the church, that is believers in Jesus that are within the body of Christ, they should indeed be judged if they're living in a sinful manner. And they should indeed be put out of the body of Christ if necessary. So this is an act of judgment by the church upon sinful individuals, the body of Christ, okay, those that are inside. Now, go ahead and stay right here in the book of 1 Corinthians, but look up one chapter to chapter 6. Okay, chapter 6, here the Apostle Paul continues to teach, and if you look with me starting in verse 1, it says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now here again, Paul is distinguishing between those who are outside of the church and those who are inside the church, the body of Christ. He's distinguishing between those two here. And he goes on in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest manner matters? Now, when he says that the saints will judge the world, he is speaking of something that will happen in the future. And for you and me here today, that is something that still is in the future. But what Paul is pointing out here is that there can be some petty little things, right, that are going on between one born-again Christian and another. And, and instead of doing the godly thing and acting in a Christ-like manner and working it out within the body of Christ, instead they take each other to court before ungodly, non-born-of-the-spirit people, the, the people of the world and such, right? And this kind of thing, of course, still goes on today, but it should not. And he continues on in verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? So you see, of course, there are matters in this life that need to be dealt with. Things happen, right? If there are disputes within the body of Christ that is amongst people professing faith in Jesus Christ, then these matters should be judged within the body of Christ. There should be someone there mature enough to do that, right? If someone professing to be a Christian is living in an ungodly matter, matter right, they need to be judged. And like I said earlier, if necessary, Put out of the church for what they're doing. So in light of these scriptures that we've just read, where we see a need for judging within the body of Christ, right? We flip back now to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll take a look again 
at what Jesus says about this judging thing. And we'll, we'll shine a little bit of a different light on it after we look at those scriptures. Because Jesus is, is not saying that we should never judge others. Let's go ahead and read it again. Let's start in verse 1, back in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, do you see that there in verse 5? What Jesus is getting at here is that you need to judge yourself first. You need to look at how you're living, right? This is what we've been seeing for several weeks now as we've gathered around these teachings of Jesus here in the book of Matthew, right? Look within yourself first. That's what Jesus teaches. Get your life right with God first. Are we making the kingdom of God the priority in our own hearts? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? Make that the priority. So are we making the kingdom of God a priority within our own hearts? Or are we nothing more than a religious group of hypocrites, as Jesus says here, right? Just people that are pointing fingers at others, right? If you've got sin in your own life, you know, don't just say, well, I'm not going to judge anyone else because I myself am in sin, so I'll keep quiet, right? But that's not what Jesus or Paul is teaching here. They taught that we should judge one another in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters, but according to Jesus, we first need to clean up the sin in our own lives. We need to make that a priority, right? You can point out the speck in your brother's eye as long as you first have removed the plank from your own eye. And you and me do and need to work on the specks, the planks that are in our own eyes first. And that's how when we approach the Word of God, we don't do so in a manner that says, how can I use this against someone else? What can I find in here to speak against my brother, to speak against my sister, right? That's not what Jesus wants us to do. Like I've said, we've seen in the teachings of Jesus that we are to clean up our own hearts and minds by fixing our eyes not on this world, less and less on this world, and more and more on the kingdom of God. It's a matter of the heart, right? We are to be seeking righteousness in our own lives. Do you have a problem with a foul mouth? Well, you should seek to clean it up. Do you have anger issues? Clean it up. Do you have bitterness in your heart toward others? Clean it up. Whatever the plank you or I have in our own eyes, we can't ignore it. Jesus is saying, remove it. Okay? And once you've removed it, you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother or your sister or others with their problems as well. Right? So, 
The whole don't judge me thing that people like to say today, don't go there. Judge yourself. Look within your own heart and say, you know, what's in my life? What do I need to do? What's inside of me? What do I need to do to clean up my own heart? But God wants us to mature and to grow to a place in the body of Christ, inside the body of Christ, where we can in turn help someone else. We can say, you know what? I had that problem in my life. You know what? I've been there, done that, right? And the Lord got me through it. And here's what it took. Here's what I had to do. I had to repent, you know, whatever it is. And we tell people, hey, we can help you with that. But instead, the body of Christ can remain with many sicknesses, so to speak. I'm not talking about from a health standpoint, but many sins in their lives that bog them down. And no one, is there no one in the church that's mature enough to step up and say, hey, I can help you with that. I've been there, done that, or I've been through that. But if I try to help that guy with that sin or that sin or whatever, and I've got the plank in my own eye, I've got the sin in my own life, it's very hard for me to do it because this big old plank that sticks out of my eye will knock everyone else down, right? You know, when, when I've got the same issue. So Jesus is saying, don't do that. You know, clean it up first, okay? Verse six, he goes on, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now let's pause right there because you see, again, we must keep in mind that if you have come to a place in your life where you have decided to repent of your sin and give your life entirely to being a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are now on, like Paul talks about, you're on the inside. You're in the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. More than once in Scripture, the people that choose to remain in sin and do not repent are referred to as dogs. It's simply just a comparison between those that have made the choice to be righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ and those that have not made that choice or will not make that choice. Speaking of the New Jerusalem, the place that we refer to as heaven, the place where born-again believers will dwell someday, Jesus said in Revelation 22.15, speaking of that place, that He said that on the outside of that place, that is on the outside of heaven, outside of the, the heavenly city, there will be dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral. Now, he's not talking about dogs, the animal here. He's referring to people that have never been made holy, never given their lives to Christ. On the outside, there's dogs, sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loves and practices a lie. This is who Jesus said will be on the outside. So again, Jesus is referring to unbelievers here, and he is saying, don't take that which is holy to people that are not interested in what's holy. Many people are just bent for sin. Many people are just bent for getting their way, whatever it is, right? And they won't stop at anything. They'll destroy people. They'll just, you know, they'll do all kinds of stuff, whatever they need to do to stick to their whatever they're bent on. And we need to have discernment as to when we go to someone to talk to them about the speck they have in their own eye. Jesus says, hey, don't, don't go casting your pearls before swine. Let's say that 
you struggled with some sort of sin in your past life and you repented and you took the time to clean up that aspect in your life, then you come upon someone that is struggling with that same sin in their life. Well, you need to use discernment as to whether this person is going to receive the struck, that instruction or that extra exhortation from you or, or not, right? Some people could just care less and they might take the help that you give them, trample it under their feet and turn and tear you apart and rip into you, right? When you're trying to come and give them something good, but we have to use discernment. You don't just cast your pearls before swine, right? They may be someone that you knew before you came to Christ and they don't want to hear anything you have to say now because they remember, oh, I remember who you were. I remember how you used to live. I don't want to hear anything from you, right? Again, we need that discernment. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit, being careful to not try to give what is holy to, do- to those that will just trample it under their feet and they just don't care because they like their sinful lives. They like where they are. And Jesus is now going to address the Holy Spirit here in verse 7. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now pause right there again for a minute because some of you may be wondering why I think that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit here doesn't tell us that here, right? Well, let me show you another time when Jesus talks in the same manner that he's talking here. Go ahead and mark this page again, and let's now turn over to the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so we're in Matthew right now, so go to the right. You have Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Just a couple books over to the right. And I want you to find Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and if we look down and we start reading in verse 9, we see that Jesus speaking says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Just like what he said over there in Matthew, right? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So that's why I say that back in Matthew chapter 7, that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. You see, we should always do our best to interpret Scripture with Scripture. But go ahead and turn back now to Matthew chapter 7. Again, we need to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit as born-again believers. We need to have discernment. We need to have guidance in our lives, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, don't just give what is holy 
to the dogs, to the, you know, trample under their feet, to the swine who isn't going to care about holy things at all, right? So in, in verse 7, again, ask and it will be given to you. I'm back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread and will he give him a stone? Same thing we see over in Luke, right? Very similar here. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then be an evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So again, staying in the context here, do not cast your pearls before swine. Be discerning about who you speak with in regards to things that are holy. Good things, right? Seek God about these things. If you desire to do that which is good, you will be led by the Spirit in so doing. But you need to be a person that, first of all, seeks God about the things in your own life, that you take your life, your walk with God seriously, and that you're looking at your own heart. Don't go around judging people, running off at the mouth, if you yourself are not seeking God for the good things that He has for us in, 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 our, in our, this life now, right? He has a path for us to walk on. He has a way that He wants us to go and a way that He wants us to live. And it's all written in the pages of Scripture. We're not ignorant to it. We know what it is. But we have to look at the Word of God and, and hold it up and say, am I living in this manner? Am I living in this way? Jesus says here in verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So you see, you're just going to reap what you sow. If you or I, again, we have that plank in our own eye, that is the sin in our lives, but we yak at everyone else for their faults, they're just going to turn on us and do unto us as what we're doing unto them. Okay? But if we seek God for what is good, if we seek Him for the things that He has for us, the things of His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will teach us the way that we need to live and will show us what we need to clean up in our own lives. Then we will be able to turn and help others to judge them, to help them see the error of their ways. But again, if we've got that big old plank sticking out of our eyes, right, that is easily seen sin in our lives, people are just going to want to throw it right back in, their, in our face. Right? So to summarize that, I would say clean it up or shut it up, right? We don't need to be going around doing that kind of thing if we're not first judging our own hearts. Right? But we know what God wants us to do, don't we? He wants us to clean it up. And that is what the work of His Holy Spirit will do in our lives if we're willing to yield all of us and to surrender all of our lives to Him. Jesus continues on here. 
And he says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Okay, so Jesus is telling us here that most of the world is headed down the wrong road. But if you are a follower of Christ, a disciples of His, then this should not be the case with you or I, right? People take the broad road because the narrow road is difficult. The narrow road means that you have to die to yourselves, that life is no longer about you and everything you desire. You die to your sinful fleshly desires and instead you seek to be led on the path of righteousness for the name of the Lord. You're seeking a different way of life. Many people today seem to have no problem using the name of the Lord, but it's a whole different story when it comes to walking on the narrow path. But the broad path leads to destruction, and the narrow path leads to life. What do you want? Do you want what the broad path offers, a temporary fix, right? Gain the whole world, but lose your own soul. Chasing after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. The broad path offers all of that, but in the end, you will find destruction. There is a way, Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. And you'll be one of the dogs that are on the outside looking in if you're choosing the broad path. Jesus wants us on the narrow path, the path of righteousness. That's why he said in Matthew chapter 6, that's the path that leads to eternal life, right? But he said in Matthew chapter 6 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we are to be seeking after. So make sure that you are seeking the kingdom of God not being lured down the broad path. And today, many people are peddling false doctrines, false teachings, right? They've always been out there for years and years, but Jesus says here, beware, in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, What does he mean, sheep's clothing? Well, they look the part, right? They act the part. They say, praise the Lord. They give every appearance to being a Christian. God bless you, brother, or whatever it may be comes comes from their mouth. But Jesus says here in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So, you know what? You do indeed need to be a fruit inspector. Not only should we judge ourselves 
and each other in the body of Christ, but we also need to beware of the fact that wolves can call themselves part of the church, right? But they're wolves. But from an outward appearance, they can look, like I said, they can look and act the part. They may even take on the title of pastor or bishop or reverend or apostle, but they will be known by their fruits. Are they seeking what's in your wallet or are they living lives that display the life of Christ? Caring for the souls of others, right? I'm amazed today at how gullible so many professing Christians are. They follow after people that tell them they'll be prosperous if they'll just send them more money, right? We need to be fruit inspectors. The body of Christ and and ministers of Christ do indeed need to be supported, no doubt. But we need to make sure that we're supporting those that are truly on the narrow path and not are simply wolves in sheep clothing. And you can't kid, we can't kid ourselves, nor can we kid the Lord, right? Just because someone names the name or looks the part doesn't mean that they are a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you see, Jesus knows what's up. I mean, we can look at that and say, wow, they, they cast out demons. They, they prophesy. In his name, they did wondrous works in his name. But Jesus knows the real from the fake. He knows who's on the narrow path and who isn't, right? Keep in mind, do you remember the book of Exodus? Do you remember how the power of God worked in the life of Moses? But the magicians of Egypt could perform some of the same things that Moses was doing? Well, today, Satan... The God of this age allows false teachers to stand and proclaim feel-good false doctrines and deceive many people because Satan knows that he can keep those people off of the narrow path because they're chasing after that broad path. They're chasing after what the rest of the world is chasing after except they're doing it in the name of the Lord. Today, many teachers teach false doctrines to people that have itching ears. They tell people what they want to hear. They tell people that, hey, the path is broad, come on. You know, prosperity is yours. You can have your best life now. Just name it and claim it, right? You can have it. All it takes is a donation to my ministry and you'll be richly blessed, right? These are wolves in sheep's clothing. These are people that are really not doing the will of God. And they're robbing from the true gospel. They're robbing from the people that really are teaching it because there really are people 
that have devoted their lives to the doctrine of the Bible. And they're not being supported in the way that they should. Right? There's nothing wrong with ministers being supported. Go and read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 9.11, he says, he says, if we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap from you material things? In other words, if God places people in a position of teaching others sound doctrine, that person should be supported for doing so. Galatians 6.6 6 says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So the work of the ministry needs to be supported indeed, but we need to be fruit inspectors. Thousands of dollars are being spent on people that are wolves in sheep's clothing, while ministers that are truly seeking the will of God for your lives are having to struggle to do what they do. Stop supporting the wolves because they appear to be so good. Seek the Holy Spirit, read the Word, check the fruit, and do, what, do the things that Jesus says to do. And when you look at others, say, are they doing what Jesus says to do? How do we know? Well, we look at the Word of God. We read the Word of God and we know the truth. That's what Jesus points out here in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's the key right there. Not just a person that goes to church, a Bible study, hears the Word, but Jesus is speaking of people that actually do what He says. He says here, I will liken Him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You see, because in reality, people knew that the scribes and the Pharisees were hypocrites. They looked the part, but they really weren't. They really weren't the real thing, but they see Jesus here and they knew who he was. So let, us, let me give us a few things to consider here. Is your life, first of all, built upon the foundation of being a doer of the Word of God? Oftentimes you hear me mention, don't be you know, forgetful hearers, but be doers of the Word. Is your life built upon that foundation? Because that's what Jesus just portrayed to us here. A strong foundation is built upon people that hear His Word and do what it says, right? If so, then you're on a firm foundation. Are you led by the Holy Spirit of God? If not, seek God, and He will give you His Spirit. He wants to. You're not going to ask God for the Spirit, and He's going to give you something evil. Jesus pointed that out to us, right? But, right, we must first ask ourselves if we have sin in our lives. Is there big old planks sticking out of our eyes that we need to clean up. 
Right? We need to be discerning about how we live, not casting our pearls before swine. The path to righteousness is the path that the masses are avoiding. The majority of people are not on that path, the path of righteousness. The narrow path is the path of righteous living, the path that leads to life, and the path that will lead you into the kingdom of God. If you are a born-again Christian, then the fruit in your life will reveal that fact. Same thing when you look at others. If they're truly a follower of Christ, there'll be fruit that shows that they are. And God does indeed require holiness. Holiness simply meaning that we need to live a life that's set apart from the lives of the swine, the dogs, and the wolves. Right? Remember, there are swine, there are dogs, but there are wolves, and the wolves have on sheep clothing. And they want to try and trick you. They want to try and fool you in that, right? So we need to live a life that is founded upon doing what the Word of God says. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to us here as we come to a close for this morning. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your goodness, your grace. God, thank you that you have not left us comfortless. You have not left us alone. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've not left us without instruction. We have no excuse, God. We can see, we can read, we can hear your word, and we can know your will for our lives. But the choice is ours. What will we do today, What will we do with your word that we've heard? What will we do with the light that that you desire to shine within us? Will we hide it under a bushel? Will we cast it aside? What will we do, Lord? The choice is ours. Today, Lord, again, we begin a new day. We begin a new week, Lord. And I pray for all of us here and all of those listening via the internet, Lord, that, that we would decide, Lord, to completely and wholly surrender our lives to you, Lord. Give our hearts completely to you and desire to walk in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, God. Let your will be done. Have your way in our hearts. And thank you again for this time now in your word. In Jesus' name.